Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Zella made a beat, so it's go time. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast, a podcast under the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network alongside GBB Live, 3D Podcast, and the Starting 5 Podcast. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading, whatever you need to do on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. Make sure you can... Uh, to follow us on Twitter at SPN Grizzlies and read our content at grizzlybearblues.com. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and with me today is Big Nate Chester, my co-host. Nate, what up? Nothing much, man. How's life treating you, Parker? Not not too shabby, to be honest. It's just day by day. Just a random thought that just occurred to me, like I'm really glad, glad the uh, barber shops opened back up again because it was pretty painful watching you on Zoom without having your hair cut in a couple months. Yeah, it got long. I thought I was going to look like a lot of these um, these high schoolers that I see that grew out mullets because they what they saw on TikTok. So I thought it was going to be one of those kind of kids. But, you know, I, I'm thankful too. I know a lot of people are thankful that barber shops are open now. But um, let me bring in someone else with a clean chop, the host of the Three Indie Podcast, the uh, the guest guru, Justin Lewis. Justin, what up? What's up, guys? Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Um, so I kind of threw a last minute curveball at y'all as far as what we should talk about to this week because. Of Tyler Hero's explosion last night in game four against the Boston Celtics. He had 37 points, hit five three-pointers, and just hit a number of big shots. And it didn't matter who was guarding him. Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, he was still serving out buckets. And I think that just kind of serves as this tale that there's this narrative in the 2019 draft that it was a three-player draft between Zion Williamson, John Morant, and R.J. Barrett. And, yeah, you had some people here and there. They liked Jarrett Culver. They liked Darius Garland or uh, DeAndre Hunter or Rui Hachimura, Brandon Clark as well. But this class is better than we expected, and we're really seeing that in, at its forefront in the NBA bubble and particularly with guys like Tyler Hero. 
let's just be real, man. We just know you wanted to talk about the new white icon, Tyler Hero. <laughs> You're not fooling anybody. You certainly weren't fooling me or Justin about this drastic last-minute shift in conversation. But, yeah, I agree with you. And even once you get beyond that top three, who I am in the minority when I say this, but I would still take R.J. Barrett at number four in this draft. If we did a redraft, I would take him over Brandon Clark just for upside purposes and Tyler Hero at three behind John Zion. But even once you get past that tier of guys, and don't get me wrong, R.J. Barrett doesn't necessarily belong in that tier based off his rookie performance for the New York Knicks. But guys like P.J. Washington, Cam Johnson, um, can't believe I'm saying this. Grant Williams. Little <laughs> roles on playoff teams here, even now in the bubble that were drafted in the latter half of the first round. Uh, Mattis Thibble, Brandon Clark, Darius Baisley. Hold up. Uh, hey, can you pronounce that first name again? Mattis Matisse. I can never say it right. Matisse. Excuse me. I'm embracing my inner Mark Jackson right now. You'll forget. Your inner Sean Coleman. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is, you've got all these guys that are playing pivotal roles on playoff teams, even going into the latter half of the first round. And Parker and Justin, I think you fit in this category, too. For those of us who really liked the 2019 draft, when many people didn't quite see the value in it or saw it as entirely top-heavy, I always had a feeling there were going to be some elite role players that were going to come out in kind of the more niche areas of this draft. And one year in, that has absolutely been the case for sure. Oh, yeah, I agree. And I remember it was around that time, there's the big speculation about Mike Conley getting traded on draft night and probably the possibility of getting an additional first-round pick. And so I wrote about a few guys that in one piece about who I thought would be good targets with that pick. And it was Matisse Seibel, Tyler Hero, and P.J. Washington. All three players, like Nate, you said, were very good players. And one, um, and one name you did mention is, um, is Grant Williams, too. I remember having – I had him, Kobe White, Brandon Clark, Tyler Hero. as like potential steals, Granite. In that same tweet, I said Admiral Schofield, and that looks pretty wrong right now. But it goes to show that they're even – and we'll learn this even in this draft is – don't really listen to the narratives of drafts. It's like, oh, this is a weak draft. This is a strong draft because it's a 2019 draft show. And it's like, okay, this draft's a lot better than we thought. And they could actually have some legit players that, you know, everybody thought the perennial all-stars could be John Morant and Zion Williamson. But I mean, Tyler here is looking the part of that. Um, TJ Washington could steal an all-star game here, here and there because of his two-way versatility and his, very weird scoring upside. I mean, I remember that remember that beginning stretch of play where he hit like seven threes in his NBA debut. Yeah, I think he scored 28 points in his NBA debut and hit seven threes. And I think he had hit either four or five all year in his last year at Kentucky. Or no, no, I take that back. It was four or five that he hit in his freshman year at Kentucky. And then he kind of slowly started to add the three-point shot to his skill set his sophomore year. But absolutely no one saw that coming in his debut. But it's just guys like that to slip through the cracks like you're talking about. And I think we can take the lessons we learned from that draft last year and apply it to this year where you look at guys and you think, all right, it's not even top heavy. 
heavy. Maybe you can find some good elite role players, but this draft is terrible. We don't know that that's going to be the case four or five years down the road. And I imagine there are going to be plenty of guys that come out of the first and second round of the 2020 NBA draft whenever they get drafted. God knows when. I guess the plan is November right now. Is that the plan for the NBA draft? There are going to be guys that play pivotal roles on great teams. I'll give you one guy right off the top of my head, especially if he falls the way that many draft analysts are expecting him to do so. Imagine if R.J. Hampton falls to the Dallas Mavericks around 20. Mm -hmm. What what pick did the Mavericks have exactly? Do you know off the top of your head? 18 or 18, yeah. 18. Imagine if RJ Hampton falls to the Mavericks at 80 and he can really, or at 18, and he can really be what Mike Miller and Penny Hardaway believe that he is a big guard who can have an impact on both sides of the court because of his athleticism, his versatility, his ball handling, and his shot creation ability. And then you're looking at a guy in him that may be able to be a difference-making piece for the Dallas Mavericks in the Western Conference Finals next year. You never know, and that's why these rash narratives always seem to never really work out. Right, and Justin, I want to ask you is, with, like what you've said, the 2020 draft class can do what 2019 is and proving people wrong about its depth and its talent in there. Who are some names that you see in that 2020 draft class that could potentially be one, not even to the extent of hero, but you know, like you're, Brandon Clark's, your Matisse Stiebel's, your Grant Williams, your um, blanking here. I mean, even like Rihad Shamaro is pretty good too. Darius um, Baisley came on at the end too. Oh, yeah, Darius Baisley as well. Are there any guys like that that you can see coming out of the 2020 class? And do you even see that potential happening with the Grizzlies at 40? So there's one guy that um, is, I think, is overlooked that I like a lot that I think is good going to have a really successful NBA career, and that's Therese Halliburton, uh, the point guard out of Iowa State. Um, I don't know why he's not considered a top four talent in this draft. I think that he absolutely is. Uh, I just like the way that he plays, and I think he's just all around solid. Um, I think, if anything, we learned from, like, even Keldon Johnson and Tyler Hero this year, uh, a wing from Kentucky, while they may not throw up a big season, has the potential to do something in the NBA. So, like, you got to watch out for for Maxie um, and what he may do next year, given the opportunity to kind of be a little bit more open. It, here's my question. Are the Kentucky bigs just overhyped so much that they overshadow the wings? Because, like, it seems like always the Kentucky bigs are going really high in the draft and the wings are going lower. Like, why do you all think that is? I think Calipari runs archaic offensive sets that mask the true skill sets of a lot of his high-caliber NBA prospects. And I'm going to say in a second why I'm so high on Maxi, and I've gotten higher on Maxi in the last month because of this. But I don't understand the Calipari worship in the sense that, like, oh, look, Cal's going to get you to the NBA. Look at Bob Adebayo. Look at Devin Booker. Look at Jamal Murray. Look at Tyler Hero. Look at what all these different guys are doing. You can say that Cal was able to get them to where they are today. And sure, that's a good mark on the recruiting resume for Calipari to say that he got those players. But think about Bam Adebayo. He was used like he was Strohmile Swift back when he played for Kentucky. He showed nothing of the versatility, and it's because Calipari didn't allow him to do so. Devin Booker and Tyler Hero were used as purely off-ball spot-up shooters. They were not used as shot creators in and of themselves. 
touchdowns, Hero more so than Booker, but they were not being used to the degree that they're both now being used in the NBA. Jamal Murray was not a point guard at Kentucky. And I see all these different players who were restricted at their time at Kentucky, and it makes me wonder what was stopping them from becoming that at any other college. Tyler Hero could have gone to the University of Memphis or Ole Miss or anywhere else and kind of a rising program, not at the caliber of the University of Kentucky. And he could have averaged 23 points a game as a freshman while flashing the same skill set he's showing in the NBA now. I don't think the six months he spent with Cal drastically altered the developmental track that he was on, especially when he's not being used in the same way that he is now. But back to the point, this is why I'm high on Tyrese Maxey. He was able to uh, flash and showcase um, a skill set as a shot creator from three levels in college in a way that Tyler Hero and Devin Booker weren't allowed to. And if he was able to rise above in a way that they were not allowed to during their time in college, then maybe it means his upside is just as high as those guys going against the NBA. They they also have Emmanuel Quickly, uh, Quickly that is projected to go second round. He, I'm pretty sure he's one of the leading scorers uh, in the SEC. So, like, why is he projected to go so low? I mean, he's 6'3". He's not small. I think it's just Calipari doesn't do his wings uh, enough justice, like you were saying. Didn't he also win SEC Player of the Year? I, I believe he did. Yeah, I, I know one of the two did. And quickly was like a lights-out shooter. Granted, I don't know what his uh, defensive upside is or anything, but especially for a team like the Grizzlies at 40, if you have the opportunity to take the SEC player of the year who's still only 20 year, 21 years old and is an elite shot maker from the perimeter, you, you don't really pass up on that. I guess it's kind of like an intersection of like the two topics that I had talked to you all about before I said this one is – if I, I'm really much power, I know some people prioritizing like a, a fifth big and technically like Jonte Porter is your extra second round pick this year. And that's that big. You got to see, I want to see what you got out of Jonte Porter because he was high on a lot of boards because of his, um, his uh, playmaking from the big man position. And I, you know me, I'm a sucker for playmaking bigs. And I, I think this draft in particular, I would love to see the Grizzlies go after a backcourt player that could be a creator off the perimeter or a creator for others. Um, Peyton Pritchard, Grant Riller, um, Malachi Flynn, Emmanuel Quickly. Isaiah Maybe Marcus, Marcus Howard. Oh, yeah, Marcus Haw- Howard, another good one. There's also, too, I think the Grizzlies are in a unique position to where they can use that uh, Memphis hustle system to kind of slowly integrate these guys into the NBA system. And then, as we saw in the bubble, players had have their number called. I mean, Tyus Jones went down. Justice Winslow went down. Chan Jackson Jr. went down. But especially for, like, if something happens, God forbid, for, like, Ja Tyus, I know it's nice to have, like, Justice and Kyle Anderson and if he's re-signed Anthony Melton, but there's value just having another pure point guard on the roster. And that, that's kind of where I'm at. And I'll call it right now. I'd love to have Cassius Winston in a Grizzlies uniform. Oh, yeah, that's another one. I forgot him. 
winner, a tenacious leader, solidified himself over four years at Michigan State. I'm going to go ahead and just set this in stone right now. I will be shocked if the Los Angeles Lakers did not select him with the 30th pick in this and the first round this year. He feels a need they have. He's the type of player that they would look for with that type of pick. I would be surprised. But to the point that you made about the Memphis hustle, when we saw some of the issues that really reared their ugly head in the bubble for the Grizzlies as far as scoring from the backcourt, especially off the bench in the bubble. When you look at guys who are pure shot creators like Pritchard and Grant Riller, it's going to be very hard to keep them with the hustle, I think. And that's not even counting what might happen with De'Anthony Melton this offseason. There's a chance that De'Anthony Melton may not even be a member of the Memphis Grizzlies next year. But even if he remains a member of the team, if they start to struggle with perimeter production from their backcourt, especially coming from the bench, it's going to be really hard to keep someone like Grant Riller who I will be overjoyed at the Grizzlies select him with their second round pick, but who's one of the best pure shot creators to come out of the draft in recent years. He has some limitations that could keep him from reaching the upside of someone like a Tyler Hero or something, and that's why he's not projected to go in the lottery or even in the first round, according to many projections. But you see it in the playoffs. There is nothing more valuable than a guy who could simply just go get you a basket when the chips are down. And players like Grant Riller, that's what he does for you. And players like that are very likely going to be available for the Grizzlies with their second-round pick. It's going to be hard to keep them with the hustle over a year's time. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hit Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I do want to kind of transition back to that overall focus of like the 2019 draft and how it might be better than we all thought. And I know both of y'all have asked me this, ironically, y'all separately texted me this. Tyler Hero or Brandon Clark going forward? That's not what I asked. <laughs> I said Tyler Hero or Jared last night. <laughs> no, you, you texted me before saying Tyler or uh, Brandon Clark. Not just I, last night, but before you did. The listeners don't need pitch for a uh, pitch for pitch. Forts, but you know, I, it was a heat of the moment thing. I had to fire off the text last night about it. But um, Tyler Hero, Brandon Clark, look, I told you this earlier today, Parker, and I'm just going to put it out there for the interwebs and so that everybody can hear me say it. After these bubble playoffs, if there is a single nerd that says they would take Brandon Clark over Tyler Hero, I'm going to slap him. 
<laughs> Brandon Clark is a great player. He already is, and he will be a great elite role player for the Grizzlies for a year to come. But he has some very clear inhibitors in his skill set that I think are ever going to keep him from becoming anything more than that or an all-star or anything of that nature. And the biggest flaw that he has that keeps him from reaching that caliber of player is that he can't dribble. He just can't dribble. He has a very quick and explosive first step that allows him to get into the lane, and he is extremely elite once he gets into the lane. He's one of the best finishers in the NBA. But how many times did you see him catch the ball in transition and he looked like a deer in the headlights and he immediately looked to dump it off to Tyus Jones, DeAnthony Meltner, John Morant, which may be the ideal outcome because he wants to dive to the rim and he'd rather them feed him. But he looked very clearly uncomfortable anytime he ever had to actually create for himself off the bounce. And that's something that at his age, if he doesn't already have it in his bag, it's going to be pretty difficult to add that to his bag because that's that area of his skill set is basically non-existent. He's great for what he is, a super efficient elite role player, and he's going to be that for years to come for the Grizzlies. Tyler Hero, he compares favorably to Devin Booker at his age, to Jamal Murray at his age. You cannot watch him with that swagger, with that three-level shot-creating ability that he has, his shooting ability as a whole, and not tell me that you don't see a future perennial all-star there. It's an easy answer for me. How about you, Justin? I, yeah, it's 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 a pretty simple answer. Tyler Hero is that toy it, that the Grizzlies have always wanted but never had. And I, I just don't – I mean, Nate hit every point. There's, there's no question that you take Tyler Hero over Brandon Clark. And that's not to diminish what Brandon Clark has done, being the most efficient rookie in NBA history. Um, but we can find a backup power forward again – but to find a guy that can create a shot and hit from all three you know, levels on the floor, they're unique. Um, they're hard to come by as the Grizzlies have proved over, you know, a de- two decades of being here. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's Tyler Hero all the way, and I agree. I'll help Nate slap anybody that wants to say Brandon Clark. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you all. Uh, probably – before the bubble, I would have had I would have had Clark number three behind Jaw and Zion. If we redrafted today, I would say Jaw, Zion, Hero. I would have Clark four because I'm not going to have RJ Barrett higher than Clark until I either see a RJ Barrett produce winning in New York or B he's not a Nick anymore. Give me Kobe White over RJ Barrett. Yeah. I, I'm about to say that too. I love Kobe White. I've loved Kobe White since he was at North Carolina. And uh, I remember uh, the Ringer Draft God had him compared to Jamal Murray, who has freaking exploded in the bubble. And I think he possesses that similar shot creation and that wiggle with the ball. I mean, because I think after the All-Star break, he averaged like 26 and a half points a game. So, I mean, he has something. I mean, whether he just ends up being a spark plug off the bench or a legitimate starting point guard that could create – his own shot and create for others remains to be seen, but the Just, bottom line, this draft's better than we all expected. Yeah, it is. And Justin, you may want to think about this, man. So let's go back in time and say the 2019 draft that the Grizzlies have the second pick and the third pick If the Grizzlies pick job with the second pick and pick RJ Barrett with the third pick. Then you got the two best passers in the NBA right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah. true. So true. The NBA instantly, but in all seriousness, all joking aside, about some random bloggers' thoughts about RJ Barrett's 
apparently supreme passing ability that none of us noticed this year. Um, I went back and I, I watched some Knicks games this year, and I watched some of R.J. Barrett's highlights on YouTube. I have never seen a modern NBA offensive worst spacing that Knicks team had this year. They were running out lineups that had Alfred Payton, R.J. Barrett, Todd Gibson, and Julius Randle all in the same court. Maybe throw in Dennis Smith Jr. for good measure. And they had absolutely no floor spacing at all. And R.J. Barrett was still able to put up pretty decent counting stats, even with that concern. So, I was pretty high on him going into the draft. I think you'll figure it out. The Knicks in and of themselves, I think will be a roadblock to him doing that. But I think his upside in and of itself, Jonathan Gaboni compared him to James Harden. And there are areas of his skill set that do compare favorably to a young James Harden. And so upside in and of itself, especially if you were to take Barrett out of New York, and if I were trying to place him on the Memphis Grizzlies, I would definitely take him over Brandon Clark. But I understand your point. Yeah, for sure. And Justin, I'm going to torture Nate here and make him remain silent on this question. But I wrote about this a few weeks ago on GBB about the Grizzlies position, like position within this modern NBA, especially as it pertains to his three bigs, Jaron Jackson Jr., Jonas Valanciunas, and Brandon Clark. Do you kind of see like a little bit of what Grant Williams is doing right now and seeing Brandon Clark's potential is a little bit of a small ball five in certain moments in big time situations. Do you think it's like transferable with Brandon Clark or do you think there's something different with Grant Williams to where Clark can't necessarily do the same things? I'm going to give you a yes and a no. Um, Grant Williams is built like a linebacker. So he's, he's better suited with his body to handle playing that spot. Um, But I believe Clark's uh, quick twitch allows him to rebound and defend um, that spot. And I, I've compared him to uh, Sean Marion ever since he's come into the league. And Sean would play some small ball five um, for the for the Suns back in the day. Um, and maybe even the Mavericks. I don't, I don't know about his time in Dallas. Uh, so I think for small stretches, you can get away with it. But I just don't know if that's something that you want to, to roll with for, you know, a, a six to seven minute stretch. Yeah, I mean, I could see it too. I think one thing that's like imperative if you're ever going to roll out Brandon Clark as a stretch five, or not stretch five, small ball five, um, is you're going to need a four and or a three that I think you have to have great size all over the floor from two to two to four. Uh, Maybe have someone a little bouncier, not bounce. I mean, he's bouncy as hell. So finding somebody bouncier than him, you basically have like a six, seven Zach Levine. But uh, I think you're just going to have some size and some bounce alongside him. I think a guy that would end up being like, and I'm not saying this guy in particular, but a comparable guy is if you were to have Brandon Clark up in the front court with someone like a Derrick Jones Jr., you can get away with that. Like you can get away with playing those, two, like those two kind of players at the four and five for about, five minutes or so and you won't suffer much yeah so think about like the Celtics what you said with the with the two through five you've got uh Jalen Brown Gordon Hayward Jason Tatum and then Grant Williams they're all what six seven and taller so that that allows for the situ uh the switchability um the guys to be able to um to rebound across the board and help out there with their size so like you can't run Brandon Clark at the five and then you've got DeAnthony Melton and Grayson Allen at your two and three like that's just not going to work. So I agree that you've got to have 
other guys with some size to kind of pitch in um, on the defensive side and the rebounds. Somebody that I would love to see ideally come to a place where they could play some backup five minutes, whether it's just for three and four minutes at a time for the Grizzlies, and we've already mentioned him, and that's Jonte Porter. And there's a lot of similarities between Jonte Porter and Daniel Tice as far as their – Daniel Tice, I didn't just butcher his name. I've already butchered enough names over the course of this podcast. But there's a lot of similarities in their skill sets. They're both good screeners. They're both good playmakers for their size. You take a look at Tice's number. Numbers as a Celtic, they're very comparable to Porter's numbers in his uh, loan season at the University of Missouri. They both can sp- uh, space the floor and uh, stretch the f- floor out to the three-point line, and they both can be versatile defenders who can occasionally switch out to the perimeter. That's who Porter can ideally be if he's able to play consistent minutes in the NBA NBA if he's able to remain healthy and I don't see any point if he's able to continue to develop if he's able to continue to remain healthy going into next year that he could not play some spot minutes at six foot 11 as the Grizzlies backup five absolutely you know yeah I agree and I I'm rooting for Porter like I, I think he'd be a good fit in the Grizzlies system as with his passing, his potential to stretch the floor. I think I remember reading somewhere where he really struggled the most though was like his defense where I guess it might just run in the family. Michael Porter sucks on defense too, but he's another guy too, where I see he can get valuable minutes with the Memphis hustle. And maybe, maybe if something opens up with him where they're not really wanting to play Gorgie dang or, the season's not going how we anticipate, and they're more focused on development and competing for a playoff spot, not because of their own ideals, but because the standings won't allow them to. Then you might see Jonte Porter get a little run and seeing if he can actually produce in the system. I'm very much looking forward to see how they approach his situation because he has a team option this summer, but we also haven't seen him in live action play. And the only people that have are the Grizzlies coaching staff who they just see the scrimmages and stuff. So that's going to be very interesting for sure. And so one question I want to get you all out with is actually there's going to be two. Um, One, um, what will it take for Brandon Clark to be considered like the third best player in his draft class? And two, what will it take for somebody to overtake John Morant? Tyler Hero does not develop in the, on the same developmental track that we think he will. Um, I don't think it really matters what Clark is going to do. If you don't possess something in your bag at all, as far as your skill set is concerned at the age of 23, it's unlikely that you're going to add something meaningful that you don't already have at that age. And unless Brandon Clark can become a very effective ball handler as far as creating for himself in a one-on-one situation from the perimeter, I don't see him ever being able to quite move into the true star stratosphere. And Tyler Hero is already showing flashes of that. We can see that from his performances in the bubble in game four of the Eastern Conference Finals, or game three, excuse me, he scored 23 points. Uh, game four, he scored 37 points. He is already showing the makings of a star on a true uh, title contender in the Eastern Conference, and he's 19 years old. He's not going to be able to drink if they have a championship parade. He has a long way to go as far as his developmental tract is concerned, and um, I don't see any reason outside of, God forbid, injury that will keep him from being a perennial all-star. 
as far as Ja is concerned, I I cannot see anybody in this draft catching up with him. Ja is a good bit head and shoulders above even Tyler Hero right now. Um, he obviously didn't have the opportunity to put on these types of postseason performances, but he did have 35 points and eight assists in his last appearance against the Portland Trailblazers in an elimination game. Um, we know who Ja Morant is. He was probably the best rookie point guard of the last 20 years in the NBA. He's going to be a superstar for years to come, and I don't see Tyler Hero, R.J. Barrett, or anyone else who was drafted behind him doing enough or growing enough to be able to overcome him because John Morant is just 20 20 years old himself. He's going to continue to get better. He's going to become a more comfortable and more prolific three-point shooter. He's going to continue to get bigger and stronger. There's nothing that's going to stop him from coming close to the throne of being the best uh, point guard in the NBA. I'd say for Clark to be three, it would have to be um, a Greg Oden situation for Zion uh, to happen because I do believe Nate's right. I don't see Tyler Hero not becoming uh, what we think he's going to become, partly because he's going to put on weight. He's going to get an NBA body. Um, He's playing for an excellent coach and organization. Um, And, you know, shout out to you, Parker. Back in October, you had the, the tweet of him being tutored by Jimmy Butler. Uh, and I saw that you uh, retweeted that one today. Uh, but it does matter who he, who he plays beside and what organization he's in. And I think he's in a perfect one for him to um, to continue to grow. And, again, Nate's right. Clark is what he is pretty much. Um, his, he's basically at his ceiling. I don't know what more he can do besides maybe be a little bit more consistent of a three-point shooter. Um, but he's never going to be a shot creator. And when you're not a shot creator, it's going to be really hard for you to be considered great. Um, you've got to be phenomenal at something. And he's just good at everything. He's kind of the, the jack-of-all-trades type. Um, and then Jaws just – he's transcendent. He's a superstar, generational talent. Um, he will go down uh, easily, and it won't take long for people to, to understand that he's a significantly better basketball player than anybody else in that draft class. Um, it's more than the highlights. That's all Zion's ever been since he's 15 years old is, is a highlight because he's fat and can jump. Like, <laughs> yeah, he, he actually shot a decent percentage from three in the 24 games that he played, but I don't see that continuing. I don't think he can. his body can hold up over um, a period of time, which he's already proven that. Um, so unless he sheds weight, I think he's just kind of a little bit better Julius Randle and John Morant's way better than that. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was actually reading something on Bleacher Report today, and it was about, like, how each of the top rookies can fix their biggest flaw. And you have all these, like, real flaws and stuff. I think Jaws was, like, defensive impact, and Zion's was health. I'm like, okay, well, Zion, he's not a good shooter. His three-point percentage is inflated because he made four threes in his NBA debut. Um, his, his defense sucks. I, I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr. made him look like he was standing in quicksand at the rim. And then his conditioning sucks. I mean, he was, you, can, you look at his days at Duke compared to now, and it's like almost night and day. I remember telling Nate that in the bubble, he looked like freaking Enos Cancer with, with bunnies, and that's it. And Popeye's Larry Johnson is the correct term you're looking for. <laughs> I, think, I think the correct one is Sunday Hollis Jefferson. Or a top. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, it doesn't make a good um, 
headline on Bleacher Report or whatever else to say lose some weight, fatty. But, I mean, that's exactly where Zion Williamson is at. Um, I'm watching this guy in the NBA bubble, and his talent is undeniable. He's one of the most productive rookies in NBA history over the 18 games he played before they even got to the Orlando bubble. I'm going to ask you all this. Have you ever seen an NBA player that labored so much to get up and down the court the way that he was? You know who's the player that came to mind for me as far as him was concerned? 2011 Shaquille O'Neal. I was just about to say that. I remember Shaquille O'Neal was literally like writhing as he would run up and down the court. And that's what it looked like to me with Zion and I just thought to myself look maybe he's feeling himself a little bit in his rookie campaign maybe he's fed on the media hype for himself and he wasn't working as hard as he should have but how did that training staff not have him in better shape than he was it makes me think that there's something fundamentally wrong with him physically and that's going to inhibit him for the rest of his career yep and uh just to wrap up the show I'll, I'll answer my question as well I think Brandon Clark be- can become three if he has like this, if he becomes like a Paul Millsap or something, or, I mean, I know people also compare to like Pascal Siakam. I mean, if that, if that happens, heck, all he has to do is develop a spin move and he'll pass he'll be like uh, Pascal Siakam. <laughs> the Boston Celtics guarded the spin move and they effectively shut him down. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, if he, if he becomes one of those like, third fiddles next to John Jaron that can impact winning and winning championships. I think he can go up to three. And with Ja, I I can't really express more of like what y'all said. I mean, he's a transcendent point guard and he's looking like a crossover between literally the best point guards that we've probably ever seen in our lifetimes. I mean, I know Justin for you that expands back to 1990, but, um, sorry, I had to throw that shot in there. You're yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Jaws solidified for number one for a very long time, and I think Zion Williamson will probably and will have to lose like fifty pounds to do that. And I think Tyler Hero would literally have to become, you know, Devin Booker that impacts winning for him to reach up with Jaw. But um, we're running low on time here, Justin. Let the people know where they can find you and your work. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at j underscore timberfake underscore. Uh, and then make sure you check out the 3 and D podcast that should have came out this week, but uh, the guest did not work out. Hey, it happens. It, every, it, hey, it happens. It's all good. Uh, yeah, make sure y'all uh, follow Justin. He does great work over with the 3 and D podcast. I call him the guest guru for a reason because he, he never misses. He This man does not miss when it comes to guests. Oh, miss. <laughs> yep. So, uh, Nate, where can the people find you in your work? You can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24, and you can find all my Grizzlies-related content at grizzlybearblues.com. And remember, don't cancel there. Yep. Don't cancel him just yet, guys, because Nate's talented. He has places to go. And wait until he gets gets like a national job for for you to cancel him or something like that. Yeah, something like that. The worst is still yet to come. Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Make sure you're following the blog at – SB and Grizzlies and grizzlybearblues.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at the core four podcast with the number four at the word four. And make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading everything for the GBB podcast network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, wherever you get listen to your podcast. With that, that's all. <laughs>